Okay. Uh, <clears throat> kind of sweating up here already. All right. Well, like I said, glad you're here today, and uh, hopefully, if you did, if you had uh, had had time with your families and all, my kids both came in this past week, and they were gone Thursday. So we had a nice, quiet Christmas yesterday, and actually slept in. I can't remember the last time I slept in on a Christmas day, but it's kind of nice. Uh, and then, of course, I had mom and dad over for steak. Didn't have any turkey or dressing, just a steak. So that's kind of different, isn't it? And they even grilled out there. It was so nice outside. I went out there and started up the grill. Okay, well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we just finished up a study of the letter to the Colossians uh, last week, and it's been, I think it was a good study. I think we gleaned a lot from uh, the brethren that were in Colossae. We understood that Paul had written that letter, uh, probably did not establish that congregation, or uh, it was probably... Uh, uh, through perhaps Epaphras or some others that were members there that were from Colossae. But he'd heard about, their, their, about the brethren there and their great love for the Lord, their steadfastness in the faith, and uh, he was writing about that and, and uh, encouraged them to continue, to continue to live righteously, continue to live like Christ, and to remain steadfast until the end. Today we're going to start a new study, and we're going to look at the letter to the Ephesians. And you're going, to see, uh, you're going to see some similarities between uh, this letter uh, to Colossians. Uh, Paul wrote this letter around the same time as he wrote the letter to the Colossians. Um, and it's, we, we had a theme in Colossians of, of Christ as the preeminent Savior, right? He's, he's describing their faith in Him. He's describing their, their need to be complete in Christ or perfect in Christ. Not, not that they can reach that on their own, but they become perfect when they obey the gospel and become Christians. They come, they're in Christ. They become perfect in Him. They're constantly growing in, in spirit, spiritually and having spiritual growth through their study, through their service, through their prayer lives, and so forth. And he was encouraging them to continue to do that, right? In, Eph in, in Ephesus, you have another congregation here that was established by Paul, and we'll talk about Day some of his, his journeys through there and, and, and some of the dealings he had with the brethren there. But the theme is going to be interesting. We're, we're going to talk about something that we have in Christ that maybe we're not the, we don't necessarily take advantage of. Uh, we're going to talk about that theme a little bit here in a second. Uh, I'll mention, and this is in your outline, it's an interesting story. There was a great miser you may have heard of back in the early part of the 20th century, Hetty Green, who was a woman who was very wealthy, right? But as it said, she was such a miser. In fact, I think the Guinness Book of World Records called her the, the richest miser that ever lived. That she would she'd do things like eat her oatmeal cold because she didn't want to uh, heat it up. She didn't want to, it cost too much to heat up her oatmeal. And there's a story about her son who uh, broke his leg one time and she didn't want to go and get it fixed and have to pay for it, even though she was very rich. And so she took him to a, a free clinic for the poor, trying to get him there so he could have his leg fixed, and they said, no, we know who you are, we know you have means, We're not, you're not going to take up a bed at the, at the clinic for the poor, and so she was rejected, and instead of going to a doctor, she decided to try to take care of it herself, and ended up having gangrene, and eventually had to have his leg amputated because of that, so imagine living a life like that, where you have all this means, but you don't take advantage of it, you're so 
miserable, I guess, or I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand that mindset, perhaps. You know, you have money, uh, but you don't use it. Living a life as a pauper when great wealth is at your disposal. Well, the reason we mention that example is it's going to relate a little bit to the theme that's in Ephesians. The same can be said of many Christians today. For in Christ Jesus, we have countless blessings, right? We are blessed richly, and we really don't necessarily take advantage of those blessings like we should. Oh, I, I'm some better than others, I'm sure, but we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Many of these blessings are so unused that we end up living the life of a pauper as a Christian, right? We don't take advantage of those blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. It results in some Christians living as Thoreau would have called or would have said, living a life of quiet desperation. You see, we talked about, remember, in our study of John at the end, where he said, there are many things that Jesus did that were not written in this book, but these are written that you may know about his life and that you may have abundant life in Christ Jesus. What he was saying there was, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you can't have great joy and enjoy the great riches that comes with being a Christian. Yeah, you have to live a life that's different than the world. You have to obey what God wants you to do and His will, but you're going to have abundant life now, a great joy within you, a great blessing that God gives you through being in Him. And we don't necessarily take advantage of that. God will have us know about these blessings or spiritual riches, and in the New Testament, in one book in particular, we read about those, and that is the book of Ephesians. So we're going to start a study of the book of Ephesians today, and I think it's going to be a great study. It'll go several weeks, but if you open your Bibles up to the letter to the church at Ephesus, let's, I want to read one, one verse from chapter 1 to begin with, and that's verse 18, where he says, "...the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of the calling." What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? You see, that's the one express purpose of this book, that we might know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Did you know as saints, and you are saints, that you have an inheritance, right? We have an inheritance, of course, we have our promise of eternal life, right? That, that crown that we'll be crowned with uh, on that, that great day, right? And we understand that, but there are much more. There's much more to it than just that hope of eternal life. You have great blessings in, in your lives spiritually now that you can take advantage of, right? We don't want to become like Hetty Green and, be, and uh, be paupers. We don't want to be misers. We want to take advantage of those blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Well, before we begin that, let's talk a little bit about the author of the letter to the Ephesians. Turn over to Acts chapter 9, and let's just read about this fellow who wrote the letter. Beginning in verse 9, chapter 1, I mean, uh, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And then go down to verse 15, and let's read what's said there. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to hear my name before Gentiles, kings, 
and the children of God. You see, here was this Saul of Tarsus who was persecuting the Christians, persecuting the church, and then something happened, right? And then he was chosen by the Lord to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. He became an apostle, you might say, by the will of God. It wasn't necessarily his choice, right? We know the story on the road to Damascus, right? How he was blinded by the light. He didn't know what was happening, right? And he heard Jesus calling to him, and he said, what, what's going on here? What, what, what do you want from me? And he told him to go into Damascus, and he would be told what he would need to be do to be saved. For he had plans for him, right? He had plans for him to preach, to be a great preacher to the, to, to the Gentiles, to the Jews, to the world. Turn back over to Ephesians, and let's look at chapter 3. And we'll see what he says about that. Chapter 3, and then verse 8, he says, To me, who am less, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. He said, he said through God's grace, I became a preacher to the Gentiles. Wasn't necessarily his choice. But he was able to, he was revealed the mystery of the great riches in Christ. He's continuing that theme, right? The great blessings, the great riches that he has now because of Jesus Christ, because of his faithfulness, his belief, and his sanctification. Interesting how he does that. He says his charge is to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see, and that's, that's interesting, isn't it? The world doesn't, doesn't see it, right? They can't even search for the riches. They don't, they don't understand that. The world doesn't, right? It's when you are in Christ when you can understand these things, when you can understand the blessings, the riches that we can have through that life in Christ. His work, his uh, missionary journeys had brought him to Ephesus, and we're going to look at that. Turn back over to Acts, and let's go to Acts chapter uh, 18 and read through some of that stuff. Uh, some of the verses that talk about his visits to Ephesus. He, did, he was there on more than one occasion. Beginning in verse 18, and let's go with to verse 18. He says, So Paul still remained a good while, and then he took leave of the brethren, sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sincrea, for he had taken a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. So that was his first visit. It was a very short stay, but he had to get back to Jerusalem for the feast. Then turn to uh, chapter 19, and let's start reading in verse 1. And it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. 
and went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So this was the second time he had visited Ephesus. He ended up staying there two years. And notice that last verse. And he says, this continued for two years, that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. You see, at this time, apparently, Paul has accomplished the preaching of the gospel in Asia. This is all I'd heard about him. All I'd heard about Jesus because of him. And I'm sure because, as we talked about last week, his second string, his other brethren that went with him. And as those who heard the news, good news, went out, talked to others about it, the gospel was spread. And it, apparently it spread fairly quickly, right? Because the Christians there, the people there, began to see the riches and the great blessings that they could have in Christ Jesus. Going on to ver, uh, chapter 20 there in Acts, let's read on. He says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself. Uh, actually, I need, I'm sorry, I need to start in verse 17. That was in, uh, that's in Greece. Verse 17, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, I now, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I, have known, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. There's that inheritance thing again. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, and they would see his face, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Here we have Paul and Miletus calling for the elders that were in Ephesus, encouraging them, of course telling them that <coughs> he's about to go back to Jerusalem. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. 
but he knows it's probably not good. He knows he has change to come, right? But he's encouraging those elders there. They're, they're weeping, obviously, right? It's killing their hearts because they know they're never going to see him again. This, this preacher who they love, right? Who gave them, who spread the gospel, to preach that great news to them, right? And these guys who were experiencing the great riches, the great blessings of the Christian life. You can see the great love they had for him and his willing, his need, his, his, he felt, and his feeling that need to encourage these men to continue on because he knew what was going to happen. He knew the great persecution that's going to occur to these folks through, through the Jews and other Greeks of the world, and he knew what he was about to encounter. Fascinating thing to read, right, and see that. But the Spirit led him there and for these purposes. <clears throat> Turn back to Ephesians chapter 3, and let's read something about how, where he was when he writes this letter. Chapter 3, let's just read verse 1. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have brief, briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge, in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And look at verse, chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which, which you were called. And then turn over to chapter 6 and look at verse 20. He says, For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You see, here he is writing the letter, and he's a prisoner. He's in chains. This is most likely when he is in Rome, waiting his trial, Right? In fact, if you'll turn back to Acts and go to chapter 28, we can read about that. 28, and let's look at about verse 30 there. Actually, go back to verse 28. He says, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. This is when he was awaiting his trial in Rome. He's in change. He's in his own house, but he's still able to receive people. And what's he doing? He's preaching the gospel. He never stops, no matter what. In chains, in peril, beaten, all these things. The gospel continues to be preached. He continues to reveal that mystery made known to him and encourages them to understand the riches, the great blessings they have in Jesus Christ. Who are these recipients? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and just read that again. <clears throat> Ephesians 1 verse 2. He says, Grace to you and peace from, our Father, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I'm sorry, go back to verse 1. Paul, an apostle Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Who were saints? Those who have been sanctified, right? Those who have been set apart, just like we've been as Christians. We've been set apart from the world, sanctified, set apart for good works. Set apart to serve him in the kingdom. All right? We're not of the world anymore. Our minds should be set on things above, right? Understanding the great gospel that's been preached to us, knowing the great blessings that we receive, the riches of his great news of being in Christ, right? That's who he's talking about here, one who's set apart. In fact, all Christians, when they become Christians, become saints, no matter what you were like before. Tell her 1 Corinthians. I want to read something about that real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's just begin in verse 7. Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? He's talking about those who might want to go to to court against another brother. Know yourselves do wrong. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren? Then notice these next verses. He says, Do not do you not know that the unrighteousness, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty strong, nasty list, isn't it? And then what did you say? And such were some of you. <laughs> but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says, you were the lowest of the low. You were the nastiest of the nasty. But you were washed and sanctified. And now you're a saint. And as that saint, you have the mystery revealed to you that was unknown to the people of old, and now you can enjoy the great riches, the great blessings of being in Christ Jesus. Recipients of leather were brethren in Ephesus, apparently, although there is some, there are some that would call that into question because there are some manuscripts older manuscripts that doesn't include in Ephesus in this letter, believe it or not. Uh, so some would say maybe he, not necessarily just Ephesus. There's a commentary, uh, William Henderson, you got it in your outline there if you have it, where it's called uh, just an exposition of uh, Ephesians, and he says his conclusion was it was to the church at Ephesus and surrounding area. But whatever that is, we talked about his historic, his, his uh, missionary journeys there. We know he was there at least two times talking to the elders, but some, perhaps he even was there a third time that we may not know about. <laughs> he established that congregation there, and this letter is most likely to them, obviously. These folks are the recipients of the great mystery, and they are faithful in Christ Jesus. Notice that in verse 1. You know, it's easy to read the the salutation or the beginning of his letters and kind of gloss over 
some of the things he says there until you really break it down, right? He says the saints who are in Ephesus, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. When we talked about Colossians, he said he had heard of their steadfast love for the Lord and their faith in him, right? He's saying these things are true about you. He's saying you are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's interesting. Even that in itself can be a blessing, right? Look over at verse 13 and see what he says there. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. They were faithful in Christ Jesus, that they entrusted him for their salvation. They were also faithful in the fact that they were willing to do something else. Turn over to Revelation chapter 2. You remember the seven churches at the beginning of Revelation? Well, guess what? One of those churches that John is talking about is, that, is the church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, and let's just begin reading in verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Here we're reading about the brethren in Ephesus who have tested those who have come in to see if they're true or false. And if they have proved to be liars, then they've rejected them. They've done well for that. They've taken a stand for their truth. They have remained faithful in that respect as well. However, when you read on in Revelation 2, something else is occurring. It's nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Even though they had done these things and stood up for the truth, at some point they left their first love. They had lost their zeal. They had fallen back, perhaps, backslid, right? into some of those old things that they'd been involved with. Whatever it was, he's telling them they need to repent and return. So that can be a warning, right? We have these great riches in Christ Jesus, but we have to continue to access them. We have to continue to remain faithful and not allow the things of this world to remove that faith or have us to return to the old things that we were part of. To those faithful saints, Paul gives a customary greeting where he prays for grace and peace to come upon them from God and from Jesus. And then he begins to praise God for the blessings we have in Christ. And this reveals to us basically the theme. The rich believers, riches in Christ. Go back to chapter 1 there. Read verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. First and foremost, we have blessing of his grace. 
All right? We're going to read more about that in Ephesians. Remember, we can't save ourselves. He had to do it. All right? He had to send his son to die for us that we might know that mystery and have those great blessings, and the first one being salvation. Through his grace. Turn over to verse 18. He says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You see, we get to see God's glory. That's a blessing in itself. We may not understand that completely, right? But we see the glory of God, the glory of the inheritance that we've received through that faith. And then in chapter 2, verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Not only at salvation, but continually we receive his mercy. We receive his grace and his mercy and we, understand, we uh, witness his glory. We participate in that glory through our growth, through our faith, through the service that we provide to the kingdom, to the church. All those things are part of it. Those are great riches that we receive from God and Jesus Christ. You've probably heard it said that everything we have in this life is really from God, right? You may have heard that said and you wonder, well, yeah, okay. There's a lot of things I have that man made, right? But ultimately came from God. Turn over to the letter of James. Let's read a verse about that. And in case you were wondering where that was in the Bible, we'll read that. James chapter 1. <clears throat> verse 16, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that he might be a kind of firstfruits of his, of his creatures. You see, without his love for us, his mercy, his grace, we would have no blessings. We would have no hope. We would have no great love from the Father. We would not be able to participate in those great blessings. They include the spiritual blessing, not just a few, but every one, every single blessing that we have in our lives comes from God. Think about it a little bit. If you're married, are you blessed to have a spouse? Sure. Who instituted marriage? God. Who created your spouse? God. Do you have children? Do you consider your children to be a blessing? Who created your children? God. Do you have a job where you can provide for your family's needs? You may say, well, I, I got my own job. Well, did you? Were you in prayer about that? Asking God to provide for you? Did you really consider that? How he was going to do that? Even that comes from God. Everything we have, materially, spiritually, is a gift from God. 
Yeah, I, I worked hard for my house. I worked hard for that car I have that I drive to church in. Yeah, I worked hard to get that. Still came from God. Interesting to think that way, isn't it? The world doesn't understand that, do they? The sphere, the sphere or, or globe of these blessings, you might say, are actually in heavenly places. Read, let's go back to verse, uh, go back to Ephesians chapter 1 there, and let's read about that. Where do these blessings, where are they located? Verse, chapter 1, verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Then turn over to chapter 2, verse 6. And raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Turn over to chapter 3, verse uh, 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You may say, well, what is he talking about? You know, this is the only letter that this phrase is used in the whole Bible, in the heavenly places. That's where the blessings are. Yeah, we talk about how we're blessed on earth today, but there are things going on in the spiritual realm that we don't see that we don't know about. And we are truly blessed in those places even though we don't even realize it. You remember, been a been a couple years when we studied Daniel. Remember, and, and the angel was sent to him. He was detained. But he came to Daniel and told him how beloved he was and that God loved him. He was detained by the powers of darkness but he was able to get there and, and through God's grace talk to Daniel and encourage him and so forth. You see, there's things going on in the spiritual room that we don't see. In the heavenly places, we are blessed. We have great riches in Christ because of that. Yes, sir. Yeah. He talked about, the brother talked about Elijah, and remember when he's, has a, uh, he's, he's, being, he's asking to open the eyes so they can see those around, those see the things of the spiritual realm. Now, I'm not saying we're some kind of part of some kind of 
the Avengers or, I don't know, some wild, wild thing. But there, we understand there is a heavenly place. There, are, there is a spiritual realm. When we pass, our spirit goes to be with God, right? We have that blessing. And we can have that hope and blessing while here on earth. Further, the spiritual realm, we have these blessings as opposed to the physical. And we have many material blessings in our lives. But that's more what he's talking about here, right? He's talking about those spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And they are in Christ, by the way. It says it's been counted that the phrase in Christ occurs 27 times in this letter to the Ephesians. You've got to be in Christ to experience the great riches of his glory, that inheritance that comes with being in Christ. So, with verse 3, we have the theme of this epistle stated, and that could be called the key verse, and we do well to think of that and, and consider that as we look at uh, the letter to the Ephesians. He, he has an outline there at the end of this outline of, of, the, of the letter. The first three chapters are going to talk about the doctrine or our riches in Christ, and those riches, how we get them from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then we'll get into our position in Christ, how uh, raised and, and seated at the, how Christ is raised and seated at the, on the throne, and how we're reconciled and set into the temple. And then our duty, chapters 4 through 6, or our responsibilities in Christ, to do things like walk in unity, walk in purity, walk in love, walk in faith, walk as children of light, Walk not as the Gentiles. Walk in harmony. And that includes how we are to act as husbands and wives, how we are to be parents and how our children to act. By the way, I, this weekend, my children were here and I quoted Ephesians 6 on them once. I can't remember why now, but, uh, you know, about honoring your father and your mother. It wasn't anything bad. They hadn't done anything bad, you know. But, but I did remind them. Maybe it's because they live so far away, and I'm kind of reminding them, you know, you're supposed to honor your father and mother even though you're 2,000 miles away or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Also, uh, he, and we'll also talk about masters and servants. As, at that time, you know, you were pretty much either uh, a master or a slave in your life, right? That's how uh, society worked. And then our walk in victory. So our next lesson is going to be, uh, we're going to begin the study of Ephesians Noticing immediately some of those unsearchable riches of Christ, and and uh, we're going to see uh, the, the sphere in which those blessings are to be found in Christ. And since I'm talking about that, I want to mention: Do you know how to get in Christ? Well, you'll hear it from our from Kyle's lesson today. I'm sure, at the end, of particularly if not before, that we are to. Believe, have faith, confess, repent, and be baptized into Christ, into his name. That's how you get into the riches. And if you haven't done that, today's as good a day as any. All right, time is over.